And I can always, I can edit things and okay. take things out. So if we cough or do something dumb, yeah, it won't ruin it's, it. And I always say something dumb, so I always edit myself. This is Unspoken Secret, episode 20. I was surprised you responded, and you're like, yeah, sure. And I was like, really? So. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I do this for a living, so. <laughs> yeah. Go around and talk. Seems like it. Yeah, you, you said you've already done two today. Yeah. Right? Two talks. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, how would you like to introduce yourself? I usually say um, my name is Brielle Decker Blanchard, because um, I'm remarried. Um, okay. And I am... A former wife of Wardus is usually so they know like mm-hmm. yeah okay. yeah I don't know where to even begin like where okay did it start with you I was born there okay I was born into the FLDS okay and so that's usually you know where I start but I I say I'm born in there my my mother's family joined when she was four years old okay and my father was born into it also okay okay. So that's just all that you knew. Yep, that's, that's all that I knew. And also, um, my parents were in arranged marriage. So by the time I came, for sure, everything was arranged to point of marriages. Okay. So both your parents, it had been arranged that they would be married? Yeah, the leaders decide. Okay. And they say that it's all choice. You have a choice of yes or no, but sometimes you've never met him. So, mm. like, my mother knew about my father, but she didn't really ever meet no, him before. meet him. Okay. So, I don't know how you can say yes and no to something that you don't know about. How are you True. supposed <laughs> to make a decision on something that you've never... Yeah. It's <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And then, so, when I came, yeah, then I grew up in Alta... I went to school in Alta Academy, which is in Sandy, Utah. Okay. In the FLDS. And Warren Jess was the principal. Okay, of the school. Yes. Okay. So he kind of um, taught me a lot of things, even as a child, kind of grooming me for what was coming and telling us all, you know, in his trainings, how the marriages, the decisions play out, and it's all about God, you know, saying mm-hmm. God reveals who everybody's supposed to marry. And he, one of his famous quotes was, um, the Lord will give the best to those who leave the choice to him. Okay. So um, we were, if we even dated, like by the time I was growing up, if you dated, you would be kicked out of the church and you couldn't have anything to do with your family. Mm-hmm. or Excommunicated. Yeah. So dating was a really big deal. You could mm-hmm. not date um, at all. Interesting. Uh, do you feel like he had kind of singled you out early on? I do feel like he singled me out early on because it it was easy to. He had all these children to experiment on, to learn how to, you know, do whatever he wanted. And with with me, I think I was somebody that he thought he could manipulate pretty easy hmm. because I always wanted to do good. I was always trying to do good all my childhood. That's just my nature, to try to do the best I mm-hmm. can in my grades and everything. Okay. Please God, you know, I, I just wanted to please God. But he took it as as more than that. Mm-hmm. How much older is he than you? He's quite a bit older. He's like, when I married him at 18, I think he was 50 or 51 or so. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So... Yeah, that was uh, another thing is they kind of shelter you so much and isolate you that you don't even realize what trauma is. Like, a lot of people don't even realize, you know, they go to therapy after they get out and then they find out that they could have said no, you know, and when Mm -hmm. they said no, they should have been listened to, you know, and if you don't, then it's rape or whatever, you know. They don't even realize that there's a choice. Where the lines are. Mm -hmm. For sure. All the the details so in the domestic violence thing today one of the ladies was commenting how they talked to a lady who they asked her if she'd been through domestic violence 
abuse. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. And then they're like, really? Because she had bruises and stuff. They're like, do you get beat? Do you get held down? She's like, oh, yeah, I get held down. I get beat, you know, and stuff like that. They Didn't don't realize the terms. In her mind that it was the same. Yeah. That's very interesting, yeah. So I find in, like, my work now, so I went, I got married at 18 in an arranged appointed marriage, and then I, um, I went in into Texas and South Dakota and all of those compounds that were newer compounds. Okay. So at 16, I moved out to Colorado City. Everybody moved out of Salt Lake Valley. That was from FLDS because okay. of the Olympics. Okay. Warren Jeff used that to gather all of his people together. And um, he, he told us that we were, the world was inviting people into his, you know, his base in Salt Lake and it wasn't, and it wasn't pleasing to God, you know, that anybody could just show up. So they wanted to combine us down there. Okay. So everybody moved down there. And the people that had houses down there were told to open up their houses to more people. And so we moved in with another family. And it was separate. We made our apartment. Like, when we first found out where we were supposed to move, it was stud walls. And my father had to build it really quick, a few months so that we could move in because their area was all finished off but this part of the house wasn't if you have you, have you ever been to Colorado City Mm-mm, no the city is really different than out here you can, they have it's all um it's kind of rural like clear out in the sticks and it's on the Arizona border and Hilldale border so it's halfway in Utah halfway in Arizona and they did that on purpose the backside of Zion's National Park, so it's really beautiful. But when they were having trouble with Utah, they could just cross over to Arizona. When mm. they were having trouble yeah, with Arizona, they cross over to Utah. Um, but there's, so it's an older compound there. And they created the whole rules to all the city and everything, and they made it so that you could build slowly because they couldn't get loans very easy because of who they were. They said it was religious persecution, you know, stuff like that. But mm. a lot of it was because of other things they they don't have good credit or whatever you know so -hmm. they would just allow them to build the homes slowly so when you drive through there the homes are unfinished halfway and all kinds of things Mm -hmm. it's just it's and it doesn't have sidewalks or it's very undeveloped yeah okay it's uh been in court for many years because of the so Warren Jeffs got up in church before he became the leader, but when his father was the leader, and he he told everybody that his father wanted him to say if they wanted to keep their families, because everybody's a gift to each other in an arranged marriage, and their children, because if they don't go along with what the church says, then at any moment he can take the wife away and remarry her to somebody else, hmm. or take the man and give him a different wife. So. If you weren't complying, you could just be kicked out at any time, and and you'd lose the family because the family yeah. is supposed to stay. They're all church. The church gave you that person, so they could take it away. So he said, if you want to keep your families and your children, then you know he didn't say it like that. He just said, if you want to stay a member of the church, then come donate your titles to this charitable organization called the UEP Trust. Okay. And so a lot of people did. Some people didn't. So that that is an older compound down there, and it has a mixture of people that are members and non-members of the FLDS and some that are out because they didn't all donate their titles, and it's been in court for years and years. Um, so when they did that, um, they owned a lot of the titles, and they would rearrange the families, call them up, say, your family is smaller, move into this house that's smaller. Your family's big, you need a big house, move into this big house. And they rearranged people all the time. Okay. Because they owned all the titles. And they said everything belongs to God anyway, doesn't matter. So very just communal. Yeah. Okay. And also, um, so later, after Warren Jess became the leader, he told all of the members to donate their children to the church, like to sign them over to the church. But it's illegal paperwork. But they don't know that. Hmm. They tell them it's legal and everything. So they think they're giving away their children to the church. 
And, really? And then he does the same thing. He'll send the, the parents away to go work for him and um, rearrange the children around to different families and put all girls in one house and all boys in one house. And they have caretakers over them and their parents are off working for the church, sending money back, hoping someday they can see their children again. Hmm. Thinking that's the only way they'll be able to see him because they signed him away. Yeah. How many people belong to this organization? Do you know? Before Warren Jeffs became the leader, there was 10,000. Okay. And, and then after? After we don't have exact numbers, we know that there's like 200 a year that leave. That leave? Okay. So, yeah, there's... We don't have all the numbers. We need more people <laughs> researching it. Like, we yeah. need more. We need somebody to go in there and actually study all these different layers of trauma. Because if they don't understand that it's even trauma, <laughs> then how are they supposed to come out and say, well, it was, you know, it was horrible. You know, they don't come out saying They that. can't get help. They come out saying, most of them come out saying that there's good about it. Because there's not all bad. Yeah. There is good about it, and there's a lot of bad about it, but they don't realize that half the stuff they think is good was actually bad. Mm. And so they they learn. So I call polygamy, I call it Stockholm Syndrome, which is mm. like they, they're trapped in their mentality and their environment, and then they um, learn to identify with their captors. And it's not something you're born with. You know, it's not anything like yeah. that. It's different. It's learned. <laughs> it's learned. They learn to identify. They learn to take care of their children, to survive. And then for a lot of times, it's for pure survival reason. They they just say it's good. Or maybe it's peer, peer pressure. Because when they get out, some people go back into polygamy. Like a lot of people, not a lot, but some people do go back into polygamy mm. without the religion. Because that's all they know and... Uh, all these reasons, yeah. but they don't know the other side of it if they don't try the other side. That's <laughs> what I've learned. So I'm remarried, but I am not going to polygamy. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I know the difference now. And I learned a lot of things that I wouldn't have learned if I didn't try both. <laughs> so, yeah, that's some of my story. Um, so you were married at 18. Yeah. And then after that, you had moved to several different places? I moved to southern Utah first in in Colorado City when I was 16. And then I got married at 18. And then I moved like 23 places all over. Wow, they just kept moving you. Well, they first moved to Texas, and I wasn't very obedient. Like, I wasn't... There were some pretty bad things, and I didn't want to be a part of all that. So I... Mm. I asked to go to what they call Houses in Hiding, which is a middle ground. Like, they didn't want me to go back to Colorado City because there's so many people that don't know anything about these horrible things they're doing. So they send you to these secluded houses that are just regular houses out in the world anywhere. And they have they don't let you open the blinds. They, make, they have a caretaker that kind of watches over all the time. And, okay. And you just, you're supposed to pray and go back pray to go back to the elite it's just like a preparation to mm. help make sure that you're obedient because only obedient seclusion. people can be in elite groups okay so when i went there i just said i'm not gonna pray until um to ensure i don't go back until i feel like i'm ready so i just stayed there for two years and then he got caught or just got caught okay. so i moved like 23 times because he was trying to force me kind of to say my prayers hmm he put me in okay. one house. It was a house that was Wendell Musser, and he he was the caretaker of the house, and he got caught for a DUI or something and went to jail. And um, Warren Jeffs told all of us in the house that he, he um, turned traitor and he was going to come after us and bring all these law enforcement and they were all after us because he was on the most wanted list at this time point in the history and they we were all kind of accomplices if we don't tell where he is which we didn't always know but we were still part of his family and all these things so if this caretaker goes and rats on us or tells that we know all you know and then they show up at the house we are at risk 
so he's he's telling us that he turned traitor and all these things so we're praying really hard trying to figure out what we're gonna do and it took him a few days to bring the trailer and I think that's all it was but when the but the truth is when I got out of the whole religion like after I escaped and everything I find out that this Wendell Musser never did turn traitor he came home to a house at the end of family we married really he had no idea he had no idea that that was even going on hmm. so you know we after Warren just got caught then I could start to research routes to try and get out because I wouldn't be involved in all these crazy things that he's trying to do so when I go, so I start to pray. He sends me back to Texas. I, I start getting really a lot of harassment. And it was kind of like psychological torture because he didn't like me. And he didn't like me for a lot of reasons <laughs> <laughs> because I had avoided him. Like, I never consummated the marriage. I, I just, I was 18. I just fought him. And that was not something. You were against like, it from the beginning? Yeah. Okay. And so he, he just sent people to, like, basically to watch over you and yeah to do a it was really bad for three years i didn't have an exile i just fought them on everything um because they would come to me saying that i was worthy of blood atonement and things like that hmm. and i was like well the other side of the coin is if you shed innocent blood like you have to make sure that you're doing it right it's just because if it's not just then you'd be shedding innocent blood and you won't make it to heaven, you know? Like, So they would have to sit there and study all my history and and it just took them three years and eventually they sent me back to Colorado City where my family was. Well, I was the first one of Warren's family to come back to Colorado City after okay. he had sent him away. And they, they the reason why they sent me there is because they had a scripture, like a Doctrine and Covenant scripture that says if you don't understand the scriptures by the time you're eight years old, the sin goes on the head of the parent. Okay. And they interpreted it like I could just blame all my sins on my father. And then I can come back and be a part of their secret groups and do these kind of things to the children. Interesting. So I took the opportunity to go to Colorado City just because I wanted to go there. But I didn't turn my father in. I didn't rat on him. I didn't do. I didn't blame anything, any of anything on him. I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I, I love my father. He has my back. You know, this is kind of nice here. I'm just going to stay. And I, I wanted to really, I deep, deep down, I wanted to turn in everybody who did it to me. Because I knew once I left the group, they wouldn't listen to anything I said. So I'm like, I'm going to stay here, and then I'm going to turn in the people that hurt me instead of my father. Hmm. Because that will give the children more time. So they all would step down out of their positions, and they'd have to retrain adults. And for maybe three years, those children would be able to think, you know, they would have some more freedom. Yeah. So I waited two years before I did it because I didn't know if I'd live through it. There were so many people that were part of these secret groups. Yeah, They're so like what, was, judging groups. what was that all like? What was it like living? When I was being, so before I, when I went to Warren Jeff's family, they had rules like you had to cook or clean or so, and they told us what we were supposed to do. Okay. And it would rotate. But when I was getting harassed, they would assign me a job and they would assign some of the people that were watching me all the time on that same job. And so I didn't have any freedom. Hmm. You were constantly being watched? I was more than watched. Like, they would do things like, you know, walk past and give me signals. Like, they would... It was code. They taught me a different language. Because okay. they have a lot of cameras. And they don't want to get caught. So their whole point was to teach me their language. And so a lot of the things they did to me and a lot of the things that they, they were saying to me were symbols. And they called it like revelation from God, if you can understand this. And if you can't understand it, we're going to make you understand it. Like, it was consistent. And if I started to change my direction, I'm going to talk a lot about this in my book because it needs the sequencing and all the details to be able to give it justice. Mm -hmm. In a podcast like this, it's really hard yeah. to explain. <laughs> it's a lot of information. Yeah, and, and, and so that's why I usually just skip over that part because I need the sequencing. I really need to portray it in a light that people can follow it and see 
how that happened because it was definitely a consistent sequencing and if I deviated from their train of thought they would punish me hmm. so I had to like and then I'd come back to focus and then I could go a little bit further but they were teaching me that language so that I could join their group and then after like it was six months after I, I started to catch on to their language and things then they asked me to join their secret group and I rejected it I told them I'd rather die than do that because I knew that if I joined their group I would do things that I would regret I would have mm -hmm. a guilty conscience I would know things and do things that I didn't want to ever have in my history I just said I'd rather die like I don't want to because I felt like that you know like even right now there's very rare people that have survived in this position because um, they just keep torturing you like they keep they don't stop their focus on you if you don't join their group mm -hmm. and so that was their whole goal was to get me to join and I didn't join I rejected it and not joining the church but joining the secret group the within, secret group the, within church the church so that they could do blood atonement and stuff like that um, so I don't know of any cases where they did that but I do know in my story that it was pretty clear that they do have blood atonement in there they told me at one point if you kill yourself I'll tell everybody it was an accident if you don't we're going to kill you and tell everybody you did it yourself uh, and, and so I um, I ran to a reservoir close by to just research routes out and they weren't anywhere around. Like so, when they tell the story, because the person who, there was a person who helped that was involved in this story, a caretaker, and okay. he was probably commanded by those over him to do this. So he's doing it for survival, but it's still not okay. Mm -hmm. Because when does a line draw that says you can't prey on children and people that are less fortunate, you know, and less strong? Where do you draw the line that says it's okay? You know, if everybody's doing it for survival, who's dying? It's the children that can't defend yeah. themselves. So I, um, this, th so when I um, went to the reservoir, I, I decided that I needed to get in the water because if I wasn't in the water, then he could just say, I can see you, like, from somewhere. But if I'm in the water then he needs to be within three minutes because you only have three minutes once you go under. To hold your breath? To hold your breath. So I went clearing up to my neck and just stood there. And he never came. He wasn't anywhere around. But he is out now because uh, I, I... This caretaker. Yeah. I tattled on those people and some of them got kicked out. Um, he got kicked out. And he tells the story, but not him. He sends his cousins or his whatever... And they say he did come after me and there's no witnesses because it's just my word against his because everybody that was a witness was in the house and they were all told to pray so they're not looking out their windows they're not trying to figure it out okay so if he tells a story he can say he came after me if he wants to but I say the other way I, I, I say no because okay. I know that I stood in that water and he never came so I climbed out and then I decided the way I reversed it so I lived through it was I decided to go back to the house because there would be people in that house and once I got there um, they wouldn't let anything else happen to me because they would be all watching like there was people in the house so I ran back to the house and they they so the caretaker couldn't hurt me after that without being like in the spotlight okay and they don't he do had, things in the spotlight yeah. like that okay because he had threatened you yeah okay to hurt you yeah okay and they don't do things in the spotlight they do it secret secret everything has to be secret or they're not they won't do it okay. so i figured if i ran to a neighbor's house which would be pretty far away i might not make it because it would be a direct a direct uh he could see you? Well, he would, or? He, I don't know if he could see me or not, but I'm just saying if he could, 
it would be more risky to run to a neighbor than to run back to the house. Because if he's seeing me, if I'm running back to the house, he could be thinking, what's she doing? You know, why would she come back here? Mm-hmm. But if I'm running to a neighbor, he'll say, oh, she's rebelling now. Now's the chance, my chance. Okay. So I just felt more comfortable running back to the house. And um, when I got there, there was a, he had me talk on the phone to somebody else that was above him. And I couldn't say anything because he stood there the whole time and listened to everything I was saying. So I couldn't tell her anything. I just cried. And finally, she's like, are you not communicating well? I'm like, no, I'm not. And so they decided to move me to another house. Okay. But. So that was an attempt to try to escape, but then you came back. Well, it was, it was, it wasn't really, it was mostly to figure out how to survive. (laughs) Okay. At that point, but I did try to escape like ten major times before I actually. Because you don't escape. have any connection with the outside world. Uh-uh. It's all very secluded. no phones, no cars, no, and it's clear out in the distance. It's. And that's how it was, your whole life, or once you had gotten married. Once I had gotten married. Okay, so growing up, you went to a public school. Is that what you? Nope. Mentioned it was a private school. Private school. Just for the church. Yep. Um, so Warren Jess, one thing I want to mention that he really did that was really hard for me still to, uh, is he put, um, when I, in the elite groups, so when I'm in Texas, he put pedophilia in the doctrine. Like he talked about how, um, he thought it was a good thing. Sanctioned it. Yeah. And so the people, even after he dies, so the people in general, like the ones in Colorado City that he doesn't have a lot to do with, like my family Mm -hmm. and stuff that he left there, they don't know that and they don't believe that he actually did that. But the people in the elite groups know that because they're witnesses. Everybody gets trained in those elite groups about the updated knowledge. So when he dies, most likely somebody in the elite group will take over because they're they have to be elite to get a following. Nobody's just going to follow somebody random. They won't. You don't want to follow somebody that's mm-hmm. close to him. And so okay. that means that pedophilia is at high risk of being carried on after he passes. Because if, he, if it's somebody from the elite group, they probably know what I know, because I was in those meetings. They probably know that, that th- I'm sure they know if they're in the elite group and they start carrying it on, that mm-hmm. Warren Jeffs sanctioned pedophilia. Okay. So does he still have some authoritative power right now? Yes. Okay. He can he leads the people from prison and he and he um trained them all to listen to his old trainings every morning and every evening. So even when he hasn't called in, they're still hearing his, his and voice. following his trainings. So and so for it to carry on, so after he passes, a leader from the elite group, you know, there's probably multiple, there's probably more than one that try to take a following. But all of them, if they come from the elite group, will know that Warren Jeffs sanctioned pedophilia, and they'll carry it on. They'll, they'll just train people slowly. To slowly move on the way down. I think that was Warren Jeffs' whole purpose when he went to jail, was to establish pedophilia. Hmm. So we start over finding the leaders, finding the evidence, and all of that, because they keep doing it. Interesting. Because once it's in the doctrines, like the Mormon Church, they have they have uh, updated doctrine. You know, like they mm-hmm. update their stuff. Like they they have put in there like um, the the races and stuff. Like they stop that. You know, mm-hmm. people the can official get official declarations and then the like gay that. marriage. You know, they they can mm-hmm. now and then they have the manifesto. So they have times when they they up, upgrade. You know. Yeah, for sure. But the the splinter groups never do that. Okay. So once it's in their doctrine, it's in their doctrine for good. So there's two other groups. There's A B and there's Kingston's that have um, incest in their doctrine. They say everybody's brothers and sisters in heaven, and it doesn't matter. But that's illegal, really bad illegal, because the children are born more handicapped. Mm-hmm. With deformities and, and things. And so when the, in pedophilia, it's really bad, because the children get so traumatized 
that they can't cope and they're deprived of, you know, their That's, life. Yeah, really so, awful. So to have it in the doctrine in these groups where they aren't going to update, they aren't going to say anything different ever. To change it. To change it. It's detrimental. Hmm. In my opinion. I, I really feel like that it needs to be spread everywhere. People need to know because it's all over the United States now. They are spread out in these little houses uh, hiding the membership of the FLBS. And, and, and they don't all realize what danger they're even in. They don't believe he's even in jail for the real reasons. Are they told different reasons? Yeah. They're told it's religious persecution. Hmm. And they're not, they don't have internet, they don't have any outside perspective, so that is what they believe. Yeah. And if they're among the elite, then they're in those secret groups where they get threatened and all of that stuff, so they do a lot of stuff for survival. And they mostly like to prey on children because children don't have as much freedom. They don't have They're the very right, malleable. They don't have the right to really go out and um, to they have to be there till they're eighteen. Especially if their parents aren't even around. They don't have a legal guardian. Everybody their caretakers over them don't have any say if they get to leave. And their parents don't know what they're going through. Uh, when I visited a uh, former house of um, Warren Jeffs, I saw his cabinet. And in the cabinet, it's a bed, which like pull out. And this is where he was mm, doing some stuff. It's his office, yeah. This was yeah. his interview room. Yeah. yeah. So do you know what was going on in that during those I've interviews? heard there's mm -hmm. been people come in and say, you know, they've talked about this hook on the back of the door and they look and there's this you know like this hook and they describe it and everything and then they're like oh yeah this is where we had to hang our dress and the bed was over here and you know there's people that have horror stories so I went back after I escaped out the window because I was locked up after I turned in all those people they literally locked me in the room with the doorknob turned around so the lock was in the hallway and the two mm -hmm. screws in the window because it was the kind of door that lifts the window that lifts up and I had to break like, I found some scissors and unscrewed one side, and this one wasn't screwed all the way in, so I had to pound on it and break it off. But I was literally at risk of them putting screws all out the window. I had to do it while my brother was gone. I heard him drive away, and, like, I had to figure out how to get out fast, or I would be locked up forever. How long had you been married? At that long? point, it at was point. eight years. So eight years? It was two years in hiding, I th yeah, two years in hiding, um, three years being psychologically tortured before I went back to the group, and then two years. I think it was one year, so I was at about 19 when I went into hiding. When after what I do you mean went into hiding? Went into the houses in hiding where, so I went to Texas. So I was married at 18, I went to Texas, and at 19 is when I went into the houses in hiding. And then... So I stayed there for two years. That's where you were asked to pray, and I said and I wasn't going to pray, and you yeah. weren't going to. Okay. So I stayed so there for two years. So that's what they called years. it. It's houses the, in hiding. Houses in hiding. Okay. Yeah. Just to really think about it and to kind of force and pressure you into being yeah. obedient. Yeah. Okay. So I stayed there for two years, and so that was so one year. And it was just you alone. No, there was other. There was other people there. Came through. Okay. Mostly his family that I was with. But I'm sure there was other houses for other people. Okay. Um, so one year before I went into the house of hiding, two years in the house of hiding, three years being psychologically tortured, and then two years before I turned in the people that were doing that did all that stuff to me. Who would you turn them into? I turned them into Warren Jess because I knew how to. Okay. I knew how they had taught me all these tricks and stuff. Because they were, they were threatening to harm you, to... Were they threatening to kill you? They were threatening to kill me, but when I turned them in, I just wrote a letter and talked about what they had, th what they had, the time they threatened me, the time they, you know, I talked about the real experiences of that I had gone through in those three years. Okay. And Warren Jeffs, he acted on it. He, he, the next weekend, there was like a whole bunch of people corrected, a whole bunch of people show up in the correct 
that's what we call Hildoya Town and Colorado City because it used to be called Short, Short Creek before it be, they became cities. Okay. So that's why we call it the Creek. But the he, uh, all these people showed up in the Creek that got corrected out of their positions, and I had to escape from there. So they, I ended up getting locked up in my brother's house, and I had, you know, I figured out how to escape. After I got the window open, I took back roads. I had tried many times, but that day was a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I passed through a, I ran to a specific house that I knew the whole family left together. I knew where they lived. And there was a lady sitting outside in the house next door. And I ran through her yard and she was meditating outside and she's like, can I help you? And she wasn't dressed like FLDS. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I, I didn't know her. I said, let's go. I had to go up to that house. So she drove me up to that house and she's like, should I just go now and, you know, drop me off and, you, you know, I can leave. I was like, no, you should come in. So she came in and she's the one that knew who to call. And the family I ran to had too recently left and they mm-hmm. didn't know the organizations on the outside. So there was a lot of miracles that day. I got out of the town before the end of the day. Um, I had one lady meet me halfway and the family that I ran to drove me the rest of the way and and I went on a big a big chain I ended up in Tennessee and my name was Lynette Warner and I changed my name to Brielle Decker and now I'm remarried so it's Blanchard but um so I changed my social and I got legally adopted when I was in Tennessee after it took me two years so I, I was barely thinking of that when I was driving over here. I'm like, my seven-year anniversary was May 23rd of this year, of being out. Being out. So next year on May, it will be uh, as long as I was married to Warren as an adult. Um, as long as you've been I'll out. I'll have freedom for that much. But I went, I went, I came back to Salt Lake after those two years. I went, um, I was testing out to see if I was safe and stuff. I ended up going back to Colorado City and getting Warren Jeff's house. Um, I went to the UEP Trust because now when Warren Jeff ran from the law, the charitable trust, the state took over it. and um, They put in some members that were ex-FLDS, people that had left the church to run it. And um, so when I went back to ask for Warren Jeff's house, they gave me an opportunity and I took it, and I had three months to find a buyer. I did like um, tours, uh, free tours, and media. And I didn't have any, I didn't know what an appraisal was, I didn't have any blueprints. <laughs> I had three months to pull this off and. To try to sell that I house. I was paying the water and power bills. It's 45 bedrooms, it's huge. Wow. How long did you live in that house? I, I lived there for like four months. Is all okay. Is all, but um, so forty five. Forty five bedrooms, over fifty bathrooms. Has oh nurseries my. that we could count because they have windows and stuff, but we didn't. You know, there was two commercial kitchens and had three buildings on the lot. Like it's down there, and I did find a buyer, and it was three days before I found out I was going to be evicted, and so. They decided not to evict me. They said, we're going to go into our next meeting and say that there was a potential buyer. So it was another huge miracle for our whole community because it's like the dark spot of the town. And now this organization that's a worldwide organization called the Dream Center has purchased the building. They have the title. They have been making it a, like a shelter-type house where they, they help people transitioning from the from the, the religion out into mainstream society. Hmm. They do GD classes, they do temporary housing, and they do a, like therapy. Their therapy is really booked. They have a lot of people that go to therapy there. I'm sure. Yeah, and it's just, they're still kind of in construction because they want the highest licensing, and they have to do some sprinkler systems. But after that, they'll, they have some licensing. They still have the top one. But after they get that top one, they'll have it full. They'll, they'll fill up the house and everything. But they do have people go there all the time because they have the smaller licensing. They just can't fill the, the house complete yet. 
and they don't have to do only people from FLDS. They can help anybody. Their motto is find a need and fix it, find a hurt and heal it. So they're doing amazing work. Um, I'm an advisory board member on their. Okay. On their, yeah, on their board. And I'm writing a book now. In the of a book, and we. So the book musical. isn't done yet. No. You're just you're still writing it. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a title? I do, but I can't say it. That's yet. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the positive side. Like I want you to leave you on a positive because <laughs> that, the dark is so dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, and I I'm right now figuring out like how what we're going to do, me and my husband, like we stay at my father's house because he got kicked out one week after I escaped and lost his family. But he doesn't blame it on me. He just says, you know, they found something wrong with me, basically. I'm like, well, they wouldn't have held it against you if I hadn't have escaped. But anyway, he still loves me and I'm staying with him right now, but we're planning on um, getting our own property and, you know, figuring out more stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you wanted to talk about it, but how did you meet your husband? Oh, he was, it was my adopted brother. Okay. Worked with him and asked me one day, do you want to meet somebody? And my mom was there and she's like, no, don't let her. <laughs> and I was like, why not? I should meet him. And he's amazing. He really is amazing. And he, we've been married for two years and we dated for a year. Okay. So been about three years and yeah he's been so good to me so that's that's a plus (laughs) yeah what was it like adjusting it was hard real life or well the first boy I dated was um he was a player and I didn't (laughs) know what that was (laughs) um I didn't tell anybody because my mom she uh She's really strong opinionated on that subject, so I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to tell her, and so I just hid everything, and I ended up in the hospital, and so, cause I had PTSD and everything, and it was just too hard. So I, I and holding in secrets hurts all of us, I think. So, it does. So I, um, I, that's when I decided to go down to the creek and get that house because. When I went into the hospital, I walked away from the house, and the police picked me up and brought me to the hospital because I was acting funny. I I took off my shoes and I walked in the middle of the road and stuff because I was in crisis. And so they took me to the hospital, but they didn't um, tell anybody. So my mom didn't know where I was. She was panicking, so she put flyers everywhere. And um, Your adopted mom? My adopted mom, yeah. My mother's still in there. Okay, and you don't have any relation or connection to any of to my any family of except family. for my father and two brothers that are out. They've both left. Yeah, so I have now two brothers can... that are out. Yeah, that will okay. talk to me, and, and then I have father. some nephews. Okay. Um, but if they're in the church community, you don't have any communication with any of them. Right. I. They won't. They can't talk yeah, to people they, on the outside. They won't let you. Right. So. Um, my mom had to choose between which name to put on the flyer. She puts Lynette Warner on there. Everybody's going to know that it's Warren Jess' ex-wife, and she didn't know what to do. So she, she puts my new name on there. She thought that would be better. She put my new name on it. And when I got out, then it went through the crick. And everybody, all my friends and everything in the crick are like, we saw this flyer. It says your name. Looks like you. I mean, it says this name, and it looks like you. And so I'm just like, oh, well. You know, it did. It still helps me because it's been two years. I've been out of the hospital for two years, but um, I do feel like that if I did go into a PTSD relapse, I don't want any risks of anybody having say over me that isn't somebody outside of the cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I want my adoptive parents to have say, or my husband, or something. I don't want. I don't want my mother telling people what to do yeah so I didn't quite catch what was the flyer for it was to find me oh because I was missing for three days 
Okay, I guess I missed that. Sorry. So my PTSD, um, I, I know it has, I have a good reason for PTSD, but if you know what PTSD mm-hmm. is, like what the military gets. Yes. But um, I fight it really mm-hmm. hard. I, I face my fears in safe zones mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I learn and I learn and I learn because I don't, I don't want to be this way forever. And, um, I feel like that I have learned a lot and being out of the hospital for two years shows that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before that it wasn't consistent, you know, it was just, it was actually getting better and better. Like I was staying away from the hospital longer and longer and longer. And that's pretty typical with military patients, too. Yeah. Um, if you're comfortable, what is it like? My relapses are different than military because mm-hmm. the trauma was different. Okay. So mine is, when I do go into a relapse, I start linking up all the past religious god dogma stuff. And it's, it's I don't get aggressive. I never get aggressive. I actually make friends when I'm still in a relapse because people are so compassionate. But I, I never get aggressive. I just pray a lot and just stare at the ceiling, and you know, I don't. I kind of go into a trance, disassociate, to where I don't mm-hmm. even remember what's going on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's. It's a nutshell of my yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, I, just, I think what would be really interesting is for you to go into a little bit about where, where you are now and the things that you're involved in and the amazing, you know, her speaking has a purpose and it's not really much to do with Warren Jeffs, but it's more to do with the people that she feels like she has a connection to and helping them work through the things that she didn't have anyone to help her do. And um, she she's certified as a peer support specialist. She's writing the book like she's mentioned. Um, her, work at, 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 her work in bringing about the Dream Center and all of the things that have transpired as a result of that. And this is someone who had never had a formal education, who mm-hmm. had been told all of her life what to say, what to think, what to do, but there was that spark inside of her, even though she didn't have any other reason to think or not to trust, but something inside of her told her this isn't right, you know, and, and she had that that compassion in her heart and that that drive that that led her to where she is now. And even even when it put her in physical harm, when people um, were persecuting her, she carried that that determination that she wasn't going to give in to this and that she knew that there was something different and something better and, and that she had a purpose way beyond anything that that religion had compartmentalized her. And then just some of the things she shared with me in her upbringing and then the things that are taking place since Warren Jeff's um, was was taken in, into custody and how the families were dissolved and the state of these children and the plight of the community. And I mean, when, when Brielle took me through Colorado City and um, Hilldale and, and the home she talked about, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it, it's not like, like it's partially built. It looks like um, a disaster zone. It looks like someplace that like a natural disaster came to and blew all the siding and all the roofs off and there's there's doors that go nowhere and most of the homes just have plywood that has weathered and there's no yards there's no pavement in the city I mean it, it's like it's like going back to there, there's no feeling of life when mm. you when you go into that area it feels like like someplace a ghost town someplace that's died and and it's not welcoming. You don't, you don't walk around and have people waving at you. You know, you have people who leer. You know, who, they're very, very mistrusting of outsiders. They've been told that these people are going to do horrible things to you, and yet all the horrible things that have happened to them have happened to them by their own people. You know, the people on the outside 
like myself, and like I told Brielle when I first met her, I said, in my mind, polygamy was always something that was, you know, part of the church history, was a little bit weird. Um, these people that were practicing it now, um, it wasn't something that worked for me, but it seemed to be working for them. And live and let live, no harm done. You know, it, it just seemed bizarre, but you know, maybe having four sister wives to help with the kids and split up chores, maybe that's not such a bad thing. But when I heard it from her perspective, I no longer can feel no harm done. It's, it's all, organized crime. It's yeah. organized crime. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's oppression at the highest level. I mean, they're depriving kids of education. So they're depriving them of exposure to, to life in general. Having normal um, relationships as you're growing up, social relationships are not allowed, and yet you have old men marrying 14, 16, 18-year-old girls, and their counterparts, the boys, don't get to have a wife because they're all given to older men. And the incest and child um, um, abuse is, is shocking, and it's heartbreaking to know that it's happening under our own eyes, you know, and that it's taken so long, and, and thank heaven for people like Brielle who are willing to risk their own comfort, their own security, to reach out and, and to make people aware that are in a position to do something about it. And, and not, she, she could do like many others have done, just go on with her own life. I've Put it behind yeah, her. Yeah, that's behind me, I don't wanna talk about it, it, the PTSD, she basically loses consciousness of life as it is now. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know where she is. You know, she could choose to protect herself, but she doesn't. She, she wants to help those who can't help themselves. And that's And a lot of people, when they get out, they go into those no-judgment no zones because there's, there's groups that are no-judgment. And that's really appealing to somebody who's coming from oppression and doesn't want to be judged. Yeah, and you can't blame them on some levels. On the other hand, that's that leaves doors open for re-victimizing. Yeah, yeah, you, you are not part of the solution anymore. You're, you're still kind of part of the problem. Because you, you start, you don't learn to have boundaries. You know, if you're focusing on um, no judgment, mm -hmm. the boundaries wash away. Well, and then taking into consideration, too, when, when I toured the Dream Center, and I have people helping this community do simple things like get a birth certificate. And, you know, the simple level of thinking, oh, wow, what would life be like if you didn't even have a declaration of who you are, wh who you belong to? You, you existed on this date. It's in somebody's ledger somewhere, but it's not recorded with any government entity. Yeah then to find you a social security number, and then to help you with the skills and tools to even interact with people in a day-to-day -day society that, that has been part of our lives you know, forever, mm -hmm. but just understanding how much has been um, held back from them. And the education level, they're private schools, they have people teaching if you know a little algebra, you know a little mathematics, you know a little English, you teach that. But there's not guided kinds of education or certification, and people coming out of that don't have a high school diploma. They have to go to some kind of equivalency. And, and they don't even know how to read, most, and they're told to teach their children. Yeah, most of them coming yeah. out, a lot of the adults, um, if they could read at all, it was very, very basic. They, their trainings were, were oral. They had scriptures. I don't know how you read scriptures if you don't know how to read. But, um, and the self-confidence, how, how could you enter a society where you have no basis to interact, you know, or any understanding, or, but nothing but fear. You've just been told everything about them is bad and 
so stay away. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's sad to think even the jokes and things that we told as children, because we had peer pressure to support no matter what. You know, we're going to be the ones that support the church no matter what. And you get up there high, you know, as as an adult, and you figure out there's reasons. You know, there's so many more to the story. You know, there's just there's things going on that, and then the only thing you can do is like denounce everything you've ever, you know, your childhood dreams. You want to be the hero, you know. Children always want to be the hero, and to denounce those dreams would be to turn your back on everything and everybody that you wanted to be the hero for and go and be somebody else's hero. You, know? <laughs> you can go do something else, but it's, it's, it's not that easy. And one thing I already posted not very long ago was on Facebook was this comment about, and it's really dear to me because I do a lot of work with um, different organizations and explaining a lot of the organizations and things because the trauma is so deep that a lot of the organizations don't get along and they don't mm-hmm. see a reason to. Um, but some of them do and they try and stuff, but sometimes they're the most people that get hurt are the victims. Sometimes the victims won't even get services because they didn't come to them first. You know, it's just crazy. But um, I... Uh, so I do a lot of that work and... Uh, oh yeah, I post something on Facebook that says, we live in a day and age now people are realizing that XFLDS are traumatized and healing. And it's ugly. Like, it's not beautiful to heal, you know? It's not going to be all picture perfect. You know, it's going to be a process. And FLDS are human. You know, they're they're not completely disconnected from, from wondering, you know? They wonder. They just have faith and hope that it's not how people are saying it is but they're they're human mm-hmm. they're going to make mistakes they're going to have to learn you know and then we live uh, and then I explained how if somebody joins a side say somebody joins a, a side one of the sides you know to advocate for something usually it's because they're advocating for a cause and and if you look at it like they're advocating for a cause or else they don't have enough education like, they'll just say a bunch of things without enough education on the subject. Or they've been brainwashed from birth to not look at reality. Like, there's people in these cults that they won't look at anything but what they're told. Hmm. And so if you don't ever communicate and you don't socialize and you don't get other perspectives, you're going to join a side. You're definitely on the side of letting it happen. <laughs> but if you are open to listening and learning you actually find that there's there's reasons why people say what they say do what they do you know there's reasons and they're not always good and they're not always bad but that's the overall picture if you, if if somebody's joining a side it's like there's some organizations that focus on one subject most of them only so focus on one subject they're all different but there's gaps in between they're not all, there's not enough of them. So are you talking specifically about the other f- branches of polygamists, or are you talking about people who are, who are f- fighting against polygamy, people who are... People that are on the outside with nonprofits trying to... Trying to... to f- they all have a cause. So, like, one of them is to put families together, keep families... You know, who wants to break up their family, even if they have a hardship? And then there's one that's working for permanent housing, ones that are working for temporary housing, you know, summer empowerment. There's all these different organizations. And I can't say that every one of them, but, they, you know, they, they all have the, the specific things that they're advocating for. Mm-hmm. So if you recognize that they're advocating for a cause and wh- why they would say what they say, it's easier to proceed with what you need to do. But if you just look at it as, like, everything everybody's saying is, it's confusing. Some people are on the side of being really bold about the truth of how, and that's kind of where I'm at. But I'm not as bold as some people. <laughs> um, they they want it, the hardships to be told, the trauma to be explained, 
And then there's other people that are on the side of placating everything and saying, it's okay, nothing's wrong, we're doing just fine. And um, I'm trying to be at the top of the bridge, kind of where I say there's good and bad. There's, you know, there's truth and say it in love, you know. And so there's fine lines between all of these organizations. And that's what I'm mostly talking about is the nonprofits on the outside. And if they're joining a cause to placate everything, if you understand that's the reason why they do is because they're trying to keep families together after they leave, it's easier to proceed with helping. You know, like I said, the polygamy is like Stockholm syndrome. There's two sides to it. There's the side of being trapped in your mentality and not recognizing trauma. And there's also the side of learning to identify with your captors. So they're not always going to match up exactly. Mm-hmm. You're going to find causes in this side and you're going to find causes in this side. But if you understand that's their cause, that's their nonprofit, that's what they're advocating for, you can still put some balance in there on your own. There's probably good and bad everywhere. Yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> no good in polygamy. It's never warm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I do say it's it is Stockholm syndrome for sure because people that learn to identify I can't judge them for learning to survive. I you know then you look at the leadership and what what they're I mean as far as I'm concerned what Warren Jeffs has done is criminal and um, yeah and evil. I mean, I I don't know where the good part of that man is. It was fascinating to visit and see how they lived in this compound. And when I learned, like, Brielle was 65th wife of Warren Jeffs, yeah? Yes. Out of, what, 78 or 79? 79 that I know of. 79. And... For a whole family, this huge family, 45 bedrooms, 50 bathrooms, like you said, it was his car and then family minivan. So can you imagine all these wives and one minivan? This is what the, like, it just, you're not, as a woman, you're not human there. Well, you couldn't leave. They, they didn't get on the video. Yeah, they just <laughs> didn't leave. <laughs> but what do they suppose? Like, it means also children don't leave. What I mean by good and bad everywhere is, like, if you take in somebody, every person, like, even the thought that somebody's trying to survive, you can take that as a good or a bad, you know? Because, like I described, like, the secret group in there, preying on the children, where do you draw the line? But still, out here in the world, if you if you do things for survival, you're somewhat okay. If, if somebody is coming at you with a gun, you know, or whatever, you know, and you defend yourself, it's it's seen differently than if it wasn't for survival at all and you just did it. Hmm. So you can find that it's not, it's not like I'm saying good is just like over the top perfect. You know, I'm just saying there's, there's things everywhere that you can, you can try and find to, it's it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. (laughs) It's a good word. (laughs) It's very complicated. I, I'm not saying there's good in Warren Jeffs. I, I, I think that he's where he should be. Because you can't let people that are hurting people run around. Mm-hmm. Did you have a relationship with the other wives? Did you meet a Some lot of the Some of them were really ones? nice, but I didn't get very much time with them because I, I was always being targeted most of the time when I was around mm-hmm. them. So the ones that were nice, I, I don't know them very well. And they'll say that. They'll say, we don't know her. Because hmm. they didn't get to be around me. Yeah. And the ones that know me don't want to know me. <laughs> I mean, they know I'm telling the truth, but they, they don't want to have any part of it. Because they don't they, associate with it. Because they don't want to be found out what they know. Like, hmm. they're the secret group people that know me really well. Interesting. And they won't even... Acknowledge it. Yeah, they won't even acknowledge it. Hmm. Did you have a lot of contact with Warren Jeffs? How often did you meet or see him? It wasn't very often, but I did see him probably more than 
most people. So like even when I was in the house and then hiding, I got to talk to him more than anybody because I was so rebellious that he mm. would just call he me. He was putting a lot of effort. Yeah. On you. And everybody, there was most, some ladies that had been in those houses and hiding for years. The same house. Just sitting there. Praying every day. And they just weren't ever worthy. I'm like, that is not a way to live. <laughs> it's just not a way to live. Trying every single day. Like, you got to upset the ball and do something different. <laughs> Try something like if he's just putting you on the shelf, then it's not gonna work. Hmm. You're not gonna advance. But it wasn't their fault. They were doing everything they knew how to do. It just was never good enough for him. And as far as I know right now, I've heard that he has sent every one of his family away except for like two people, and told them they will never be worthy. And so even after the lead, next leader comes, there's a good chance that they won't get remarried. They're just abandoned. and Right now, there are no legal marriages. Right now, it's all upset because of the how Warren just set it up. He, he took away the marriages and started ritualistic stuff, like appointing 15 guys to father all the children, and, I mean, for the community. Hmm. It's really, really messed up right now, but I do think that most people think that the marriages will come back after he dies even inside to of be there. legalized or not legalized but it's not within there waiting right there's now. no oh I see what you're saying yeah. okay no there's yeah, yeah there's no there's no it's like a punishment to them I think that was like a punishment for them because Warren just went to prison they needed a punishment because they needed to pray harder for him to get out God would just break those prison walls down and if we they had enough faith but God doesn't want you, and that's the point. Is they're doing everything. The people are doing what they can, but God knows the truth. Anyway, I, I I'm so grateful for everyone that supports me because I need everybody from everywhere, you know, <laughs> and everybody does. So <laughs> yeah, sure. I like all the angles, and I can only do so much. So well, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's huge. <laughs>